Welcome to Wide Awake Stories from Insomniac. This is a journey by a journey which along the way will bring to you new color, new dimension, new value, and a new experience. <laughs> Broadcasting from the Insomniac HQ, this is Wide Awake Stories. Welcome to Insomniac Radio. Hey everyone, welcome to episode 24 of Wide Awake Stories. The crew is back. I've got Daniel to my right. Hello there. Shy to my left. Hello. And across from me is Dee. Hi. We got a slightly different format of show today um, because of the sad news about Keith Flint of The Prodigy uh, taking his life a couple of weeks ago. So we're going to switch up the format a little bit today. Share some stories, have some discussions about what Keith not only meant to The Prodigy, but what he meant to dance music culture as a whole over the last, what, 93, 92? How many years? 20 plus years. Their first single was a smash hit record in 1991. It was Charlie, which was actually my first ever vinyl I ever bought. I remember going into the record store and buying it on XL Records. I can still picture it now. I think I still have mine upstairs in my office. Amazing. I need to look through my bin and see if I've got that one. Collector's edition. We'll talk a bit more about the music as well, but you actually dug through. I did. I did. Herb Magazine a long time ago asked me to do a sort of recording retrospective of The Prodigy back right after Always Outnumbered, Never Outgun came out. And there was a long break between Fat of the Land and Always Outnumbered, Never Outgun. And I probably interviewed about 15 people for the for the story. Um, obviously, Liam, um, Mike Fodiatis, the guys from XL Records, the guys from Beggars, all the dancers in the group, uh, and of course, Keith. That was back in 2007, so I went into my little archive of tapes, and I found the five micro-cassette tapes of that whole story. And one of them uh, has my entire interview with Keith on it. So throughout this episode, uh, we'll be dropping in some clips of that never-before-heard interview and uh, paying tribute to the legend. So this is never-heard-before footage of Keith Flint. Correct. No, definitely never been heard before. And because I only had a finite amount of pages to, to put down my conversations with about like 10 to 15 different people, um, the majority of this interview hasn't even been read before. We spoke over the phone. He was at his home in Essex, which is where you are from, it I is. believe. And we, we talked for about an hour and change. And I think what was so strange to me was he sounded so gentle and sweet and, and completely the opposite of the persona that I think most people saw. And the more and more I read tributes of people, the more I think they said the same thing. The guy that I got on the phone was almost completely contrary to that guy you saw in all the videos so it was, it was pretty interesting to have like a, a deep conversation with him he got really deep on a lot of different things so i'm excited to share that i love the juxtaposition of that you know that both ends of that spectrum exist in one person and how you can totally transform yourself on stage and let such powerful music because i mean i think we can all agree that the prodigy has some really powerful overwhelming music in the best way possible so it's great to hear that the part of him that came alive on stage that was inspired by that music really touched all of us so let's let's dive in Smack my bitch up. 
Broadcasting from the Insomniac HQ. This is Wide Awake Stories on Sirius XM. I used to go up to me and say, like, yeah, fucking hell, I love what you're doing. Uh, um, you know, um, and um, one day he gave me a, a tape, would you believe? You know, that's how long ago. Yeah, yeah. Tape. There'd be readers reading again. Tape? What's the tape? his advance and and came back to you guys and said hey we've got a we got a forge ep we got an ep deal got some money you know do you remember that feeling do you remember hearing that news yeah man i went with him oh you were there i went with him and stayed in the sat in the car okay well tell me tell me what it was like when he got back in the car just kind of walk me through that period of time when he um, goes in you know you know what i must admit it's, it's funny it's very blase in a way you know very kind of like right you know, we're signed, get that e- you know, get the EP out there, um, uh, boom, and off we go. You know, it's kind of, it was very blase, to be quite honest. It seemed very relaxed and very matter-of-fact. It's like, this is what we've got to do. This is how we're going to do it. You know, um, I just I just remember always, what, I didn't care what was going on. I, I knew my place. I knew that Liam, it was Liam's deal. Liam was the, the major writer. I know, uh, not, not jealousy, but I know, not, you know, I know, no emotion attached to that other than I just want to be a part of everything that goes on. Yeah. Being there. I just want to be there. If he's, if he's meeting someone, I mean, the generous thing about um, Liam was that he, he would always take you and he'd always, he'd always make you a part of what was going on, which, you know, which is awesome. Um, and I, I, I believe in the early days, sometimes people thought, what, what are you doing here, you know? Um, but then they realised, hey, this is building a band, this is building an accident. These guys are not just there to, you know, get into clubs or nothing, shag girls, you know, fucking fuck up. They're, you know, they're here to, because they're, they're building a band. And then they saw the real solidity in, the, in our relationships that was like, you know, probably in a, in a record company's, um, it's a very, very real thing, you know, and probably what, what greatness made from, you know. Yeah. Well, no, I mean, it sounds like that that kind of very even-keeled reaction to getting the deal and very businesslike is just falls in line with what I've heard about him today, you know. Yeah. Let's yeah. do it. Let's get it done. This is what we need to do. Boom. We're doing it. I mean, Liam's, in, I mean, I, I, he hates the fact that I... You know, I, I use, you know, massive words to describe my uh, respect for him. Uh, not, not the respect side, just that, you know, if you saw him in, 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 in action, you would definitely, you would definitely be very the kind of person he is. You know, um, you know, and the way, and uh, something I've learned about music is there's, there's no democracy great 
each other. But the, the person that's actually going to put their hold themselves accountable and responsible for that music has to make the decisions. Not because, oh, I like your idea a bit and I like your idea and we need a bit of everyone's idea um, to make this a, a democracy that don't work. Yeah. You have to go, this is how it has to sound. This is what it has to look like. And, and you know, the great thing is that most of the time we're all on the same page or thereabouts. Do you know what I mean? You know, Liam, Liam in action is an incredibly impressive person to, to watch work and be, be around. You know, he's got a great, you know, just great mentality. You know, something that, that, that you know, it's funny. You, you realise that, you know, people that have been around great, people that have really achieved a lot. And, uh, uh, you know, I don't want to get to sound like too sycophantic here, but, you know, if you've been around greatness, you've been around people like Liam Howard. End of story. Yeah. And I'm no chump, you know what I mean? I'm no, I mean, I'm fucking good. You know, I'm fucking great. But, and I have no doubt of that, but that's a different level in, in every respect. You know, yeah. for these people that, demand your attention because you know he's not talking shit. Yeah. I've no time for shit talkers or people living in a dream world because I see through that. So, there you go, man. I am the god of hellfire and I bring you... Okay, I have to ask because I'm sure that there is something that you have to do, especially now that you're saying you don't smoke anymore. What is your regimen? Um, what you must do I mean, because look, man, this Liam has the luxury of being able to write music until he's old and gray. Exactly. Um, you and Maxim, arguably, the way I look at it is this: the Prodigy is nothing if they don't have that live energy to back it up, and if they don't have you guys, then that live energy isn't there. So you know, you know, uh, yeah, I, mean, I know what you're saying. I mean, it's a, that's a that's a fuck up of what something like this is. You know, because it's a sum of the parts, and, um, and it's all parts that keep it rolling. You know, of course, Liam will keep writing music till the end of, of time. Um, I'm sure he will only want to write music and be a part of music that he's fully into. Yeah. You know, I must admit, I, you know, as far as I only look as far forward as the next set of gigs. Um, I mean, as far as, I mean, I we shitless, I, I work out pretty heavy. And yeah, that's that's what I'm curious. If you could, if you could run me through what your regimen is, like uh, the, the what the meals you eat, the sit-ups you do. I'm just kind of really. Do you honestly want to know that? Yeah, man. I'm, I'm I'm trying to get a day in the life of, of of what you need to do to keep this going. Okay, and I get up in the morning and I cycle 80 kilometers, which is 50 miles. I then run eight miles, uh, and I eat 2,000 calories a day um, of uh, protein, heavy food, but not acting, um, um, whole food, and nothing processed. I only drink water, and my only vice in life is coffee. So, um, do you, no, do, you, do you do yoga? Do you do Pilates? Do you do no. capoeira? I mean, <laughs> no, I mean, I, I do, I do a lot of sparring, a lot of boxing training. 
Um, and, uh, you know, that, that I love that. I mean, I love the brutality of that. Um, um, I mean, I must admit, I, I, most of my work at, you know, full on, I do, you know, I do, I ride motocross, which is, a, you know, you know, very, um, yeah, it's very demanding on the upper body. Yeah, so I do that, you know, and, but I have to work out. Um, and then, you know, I, I do that three days on, one day off, three days on, and that's, that's how I roll. Yeah. Um, um, I guess, conversely, on, on the opposite end of that, can you, can you take me back to... Um, and I, I've asked Liam this, I've asked Maxim this, and I asked Mike Champion this. During the Fat of the Land, when you guys went number one in, in God, more countries than, than people have, you know, IQ numbers. Yeah. Um, what is, do you think to you, the most wasteful spending that you uh, that you encountered? I mean, I asked, uh, you know, what, what, what do you think you spent the most ridiculous money on that in hindsight, maybe you're like, uh, maybe that wasn't such a frugal or good idea? Um, you know what? Cars. It's funny because I asked Liam and Liam said, well, I definitely don't think any of my money was wasted on cars. He said, but I definitely spent a lot of money. I said, well, which ones did you buy? And he paused and he said, all of them, I think. Well, I mean, you know, just motor vehicles, any, you know, cars, motorbikes, um, yeah, I've done a lot. Um, and, and tuning them up and spending money, um, uh, you know, on fucking you know, performance products and stuff. Um, yeah, you know, that and drugs, I suppose. No big uh, lawn sculptures or strange fountains for the yard or... No, no, not at all. No, not at all. Nothing like that, to be quite honest. I, I mean, I am a spendaholic. I mean, you know, I spend lots of money on shit. Um, I, you know, I, the funny thing is that... Um, Someone said that there is something in the form of depression that, uh, that, that, that causes you to get delusions on, you know, the project of like, building something or creating something or getting into a new, uh, uh, like you know, a new task. Yeah, it, it, you know, it's kind of like, it, it, I don't know, they describe it, it's kind of something to do with that. A kind of fucked up um, depression kind of syndrome, um, like boredom meets depression. So I, I think that's what happens to me. I mean, you know, fucking hell, I spent loads of money on a studio, you know, in a live room to go and play guitar in, and fuck me, I couldn't even play guitar. Uh, <laughs> uh, you know, and soon found out that I was never to play guitar, you know, um, but hey, fuck it. Yeah. Don't need money. Stories. 
from Insomniac. This is Wide Awake Stories, and uh, this episode we are diving into the archives for an interview that Rich did with Keith Flint back in 2007. And by 2007, they had already put out one, two, three, four full-length records. They put out Experience, Jilted Generation, Fat of the Land, which was the big one that kind of popped them on the main, on the main stage. Uh, and then Always Outnumbered, Never Outgunned. And from those albums, they had several hit singles. And in fact, as I said at the top of the show, Charlie, which was their first single, their breakthrough single, they were just, you know, some some guys making music and somehow they ended up at number three in the charts and they became overnight, they became like a pop act, you know, with, with this music that was completely not pop music. So that really transformed then rave culture into the mainstream and really thrust it forward back in 1991. I remember playing Charlie all the time and the B-side was a record called Your Love. Have a little bit of a listen to that amazing piano breaks and and they did so much different style of music they went from you know the rave stuff of charlie and the piano breaks of your love all the way through to like break beaty you know loud punk inspired rock rocky kind of electronic dance music but i think we wanted to talk about memories because i'm sure everybody in this room has memories and i'm sure that you guys at home have a lot of memories of the prodigy and how they influenced you whether or not you saw them live or just listening to their music at home or wherever you might have been if you do, let us know your memories. Yeah. Give us a shout. Hashtag Wide Awake Stories. Wide Awake Stories. Well, why don't we just go in chronological order? I mean, they have so much music over the span <laughs> of 20 plus years sure. that it, it's kind of funny that we literally can go from the inception of their releases to today. Well, I guess that would mean that I go it would, first. It would be you. <laughs> in case I, you didn't know, Daniel is the oldest one. My first memory of The Prodigy, other than buying the, the, the vinyl, but the first time I ever saw them live was in a small town in Essex called Bury St. Edmunds, which nobody ever goes for, ever. I don't think anything's ever happened there since, but it was a few miles out of the hometown where I grew up. This was in July 1993, and it was in a roller skating rink. I took a load of caffeine pills to be able to stay up all night, because I was young. In 1993, I was, what, 15? Maybe 14 years old? It was the first time I'd been to a rave where I saw the light come up because it ended at like five or six in the morning. And I remember being, you know, going to school on the Monday and being like, I went to an all night rave <laughs> and the prodigy were there and, you know, I've got the vinyl at home. And it was amazing. It was life changing for me. You know, still, I'm still in this business now because of them, you know, because of that day. It was incredible to watch them live. I remember looking at all their equipment and wondering what the hell it all did and, and then watching the performance. It was amazing. Yeah, life changing for me. The live memory that I want to share is, I think, during the same tour that you saw, D, the Invaders Must Die tour, but my, my earliest prodigy memory, Liam was actually the first person I ever interviewed as a journalist ever. Oh, wow. In 98. Yeah. So was, for both of you, like, meaningful firsts. Yeah. Then. But my latest and greatest memory was when I went to see them at the Palladium. Uh, and I, I think it was The Invaders Must Die So we tour. were at that same show. We were at the same That's, show. Yeah. I was in the pit, as you do, at a Prodigy show. And I'm pretty sure there was a lot of tequila involved because I was there with my friend Haas. And uh, we had been drinking, I think, Patron all night. And had the great idea to go into the pit. And I came out and my little pinky finger was busted and turned a different way. Oh, wow. I remember not wanting to leave early. 
so I stuck it. Well, I finished the tequila that I was drinking, then I stuck my finger in the cup that had the ice in it until I the show was over, and then I went to the emergency room <laughs> to get it taken care of. I'm trying to think of like a a, a, a joke about smack my bitch up. Or no, the or song something. is "Take Me to the Hospital." Okay, that's, take me to that's, that's, that's exactly what happened. That's the <laughs> So Rich and I were kind of touching on this earlier. I have a similar story at the exact same, same show. show. Oh God, what did so, you break? What'd you, a group, <laughs> I was going to say, what did a you group break? Or six or seven of us, we were all still um, in college at UCSB, drove down to LA to go to the Palladium show, just revved up, really, really excited. Um, we're in the pit the entire time. My buddy, who is known for doing backflips when he's really excited, <laughs> he attempts his famed backflip, lands it, but breaks his foot. I don't remember if it was a fracture or a clean break or what. Breaks his foot. We don't leave the show. <laughs> we get him a couple more whiskeys. I have this really incredible picture of me icing his bare foot, like still at the Palladium, at the back of, at the, back of the room. Stay for the entire show. Um, and then also end the evening on a high note in the hospital. At the hospital. At the hospital. Were you at the hospital too? Yeah, I, probably not the same hospital. I mean, same um, show, same, the same show. It's weird how paths cross. I'm convinced your buddy backflipped into Rich's finger. That's what happened. There we go. Synergy. <laughs> that happened. But, um, I mean, that was the first live show I went, well, the first and only live show I've gotten to, where I've gotten to see The Prodigy. And, I mean, it was incredible. Um, funny stories aside. And then... What I also wanted to talk about was like my very strong first memory of hearing Smash My Bitch Up, which is still one of my favorite music videos of all time. Well, I don't have super clear memories of how I discovered all of my music. I just, I remember staying up late and listening to the radio and making cassette tapes. Like I remember 97 was a big year just because Daft Punk um, homework came out that year too. And I just remember being obsessed with The Prodigy and Daft Punk and trying to figure out ways to listen to that music all of the time, which it just wasn't quite readily available. But I also remember that by the time I got to high school, everybody who got a new sound system in their car, Smack My Bitch Up was the song they proved that they had a sick sound system. <laughs> <laughs> so that would just be like bumping in the parking lot before school and at lunch. Anybody who got it and really liked The Prodigy, like there was always just that like, gotcha, like yep. you get it Based type. killers. Yeah, exactly. Smack My Bitch Up! The baby's turn. <laughs> it's funny because the first time I saw The Prodigy was 2017 and Daniel saw The Prodigy before I was born so it's quite a difference in time but it shows um, the length of their career yeah. and how important they were I saw them do a live set at Ultra in 2017 exactly two years ago and I remember seeing it with my uncle who was a big Prodigy fan he came from Israel and that was like the one set he had to see in the live arena. I don't know if you guys were ever at Ultra. So the way that it's set up is a hill and everyone decided to run down that hill at the same time. And I was super small, getting squished. And they played Firestarter, which to me was the first song of theirs I heard. And I discovered them when I was digging through dubstep songs on UKF on YouTube. That was how I found them. And they had a Pendulum remix. So that's how they came to me rather than you guys. I was digging through dubstep and it just... There's ran, also a great Rusko remix. There is. Oh, yeah. There is. It's different for us kids my age because I saw a lot of responses and how they all found them the same way pretty much through, you know, the remixes rather than 
you know, just... It's really interesting. Yeah. A lot of people I know found them through remixes. I would imagine that a lot of people listening to the show uh, will be Shy's age. They are fans of The Prodigy too, right. which is crazy. And it's actually been, it's been interesting to see some of the responses on social media of who has been, you know, making tributes to Keith. And uh, and the, the breadth and the the diversity of, of who, you know, who, who has been leaving notes. Yeah, John Lydon, Jimmy Page, James Blake. I mean, Chemical Brothers. Pretty much everyone. Everyone. It's mm. crazy. It doesn't matter what genre, everyone was affected by it. And I think that the way that, I mean, we just shared stories where two of us or and friends of ours ended up in the hospital after the show. Like dance music these days is associated with like plur and good vibes and everyone looking out for one another. And like, they were probably the one, the only band who was able to ride that way between punk rock and old school, classic, real rave music mm-hmm. I mean any other band to me that was that hard was industrial mm-hmm. I don't think anyone would classify Prodigy as an industrial group I think they were just rave mm-hmm. they were punk rock I mean that was the dichotomy it was aggressive but super ravey I was just gonna say that too yeah it was aggressive and beautiful at the same time like I mean they really just incorporated so many powerful elements into their music and were you know the ones to do it just textbook like people who try to incorporate like you say dichotomy or even like a range of different elements I think they can't deny that they were inspired in some way by the prodigy just like all these people we're talking about who mentioned how the prodigy affected their artistic lives or just their their connection to like whatever their musical history is yeah. and who knows what's going to happen I mean who knows if they'll continue? They were they just dropped a record. No tourists. Um, they just announced a tour, right? They just announced the tour. I think they canceled Ultra, and we don't really know what's going to happen. I mean, will they finish out the tour? Will they continue to make records? You know, who knows? Who knows? I mean, we hope so. Yeah, I hope so too. Liam is hands down to me one of the top three electronic music producers of all time in terms of what he was able to accomplish. And a sick DJ. And a sick DJ. If you don't have the Dirt Chamber Sessions Volume 1, find it. It's a sick mix. Well, I would encourage everybody to go and listen to their entire back catalogue, <clears throat> for sure, if you haven't, you know, checked it all out, if, you, if you're if you just, you know, listening from 2007 onwards. But some, for me personally, some, you know, the stuff that really inspired me and changed my life was from 91, 92, 93. So that, that, that kind of stuff on XL Records back in the day. And watch the videos. Oh, yeah. Watch the videos. Yeah, the music videos are sick. you can see, like, the prodigy dancers. I mean, no other group at the time had dancers that were as public as as Keith and Maxim and Sharky and all the other dancers were. I mean, in those early videos for Out of Space and for, you know, Your Love, um, you can see them dancing. Yeah, let's check out a little bit more of the interview. I was asking Liam and Neil both about um, going back in the day and the first time uh, being in the studio for the vocals you cut for Firestarter. And uh, Neil was telling me, he's like, look, the amazing thing about that whole session with Keith was Keith wasn't a guy who was used to putting down vocals. No, I've never done it before in my life. And and not only did you put them down that night, but the next day you went and you performed Firestarter live for the first time. Maybe uh, Romford, maybe Gig and Romford, he said. 
Yeah, that's right. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'll be honest with you, I don't remember the exact gig, but um, yeah, I mean, that was it. It just went from the studio to the stage. Did you take me back to the studio and, and just putting that vocal down? And do you recall putting the vocal down? He said it didn't take that many takes, but just did it did it give you this feeling of empowerment in the studio did it make you kind of um was it a transcendental moment for you as a member of the prodigy going from what you were doing before to being to being the you know this 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 front man who who, who sang on these incredible tracks i mean i mean to be quite honest it was, you know the, the, um you know max is the vocal so um you know first and foremost you know i kind of didn't want to shit on his toes and you know uh, I, of course, I know he'd only be nothing but happy for me, but, um, um, so, I mean, I, I kind of went in there quite humble, in a way, um, not knowing, uh, to be quite honest, needing total guidance, but also knowing, hey, Matt, you know, I've got the opportunity to be, you know, to be heard on this amazing track, um, I knew I just had to give it my all, do you know what I mean? And being in the hands of Neil and, and and Liam, I knew that they would only get from me the best. So, um, you know, that, that, was the, that, was the, that was the sketch, really, you know. Um, you know, kind of a disbelief. Yeah, I'm not a vocalist. What the hell am I here doing this for? Yeah. Um, um, what am I doing it for? But uh, how am I here? You know, almost like an out-of-body experience. Outside of just the musical end of things, um, but I, 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 he didn't really go into a lot of detail, and I didn't know if you wanted to go into because he said, you know, I, I want to talk about it if, if Keith wants to talk about it. But um, I mean, I don't, I mean, I don't really know what that what what he's referring to, other than you know, like I, you know, um, I suppose you know, we did a kind of solo. I did my solo kind of venture. And I think that really kind of fucked things up because, I mean, basically, I mean, I was completely loyal to Liam and the band and it kind of, it felt like a big fuck up as if I wasn't loyal. Um, but, and, and still does my head in today, 
you know, thinking I should have bothered. But, you know, it was a long time. I needed I needed to create stuff. Yeah. And, you know, I, I needed to do something creative. Um, otherwise, I was going to destroy myself. So, and Liam said, he's like, look, man, I took too long. Liam said, I, I, I took... I took too long to write the damn album, and when I when I was ready, they weren't ready. Yeah, um, and, and you know, really, you know, the thing was, to be quite honest, it was no more than putting my head in the sand. You know, when the guy's calling me, you know, he used to call me, and I would be there. Oh, I'm here. What do you want? Where are we going? Yeah. yeah. Um, but I, I wouldn't answer the phone, and um, and um, it was because I. You know, I couldn't, you know, I couldn't um, explain in that I had to go to another studio to do something else with other people. Yeah. Uh, it's almost, it's funny because what you're saying almost sounds like those feelings that you get when you're running around on your misses, you know? Yeah, yeah. Oh, uh, I am the most loyal person in the world. And I would, I, I would never fuck around on any, anyone. Uh, any girlfriend or anything. I'd rather be a man than leave that girl. Exactly. Listen, baby, this ain't happening. I'm out. Right? Yeah. And think, you know what? I'm smart enough, I'm sexy enough to get another girl if I need one. Yep. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, oh, I have this. I feel the same way, man. It's like, look, you be, be a man and, and, and end it. Yeah, yeah. But, okay, you know, so, and don't do it in three weeks' time when you've, when you've run them down and made them feel shit about themselves and, <laughs> and you know, and thought that somehow rejection was going to work for you, pick up the phone and say, listen, hey, I've just got to say, I'm not feeling this, it ain't really happening, I'm out. Yeah. And more respect for you, you'll probably even stay friends. And then get on with all the other stuff you want to do. Yeah. And I, I had that loyalty built in. And you know what? I, I know that if my wife ever, which she wouldn't, um, think me, Hey, you've been loyal to me. I, I look at you in the face and go, yes, I have. When my trainer says to me, do another two hours on here and let me know how you got on tomorrow, I will not do 50 minutes or 30 minutes. I look him in the face and I said, this is two hours. I did it hard. I, and that's, my lo- that's what I'm made up of. That's my, that's my makeup. Yeah, which, 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 which goes to stand to reason that if you had a bug in you, and you felt, I need to get this album out, I need to do this. There's no way it was it was not going to come out. No, that's true. But to not be able to look at Liam and go, I was always there. I never fucked up. I never went anywhere else. I never did anything else. Prodigy my line. To not be able to say that anymore, he's a fuck up uh, in my head. And I, I will find that for the rest of my life hard to live with. This is Wide Awake Stories. You're listening to episode 24 of Wide Awake Stories. Very special episode. We're playing clips from an interview that I did with Keith Flint uh, back in 2007. For those that don't know, uh, he did take his own life a few weeks ago. And uh, I think in the midst of sharing all of these stories and great memories about Prodigy's music, seeing them live, seeing Keith as a front man, I mean... You know, dance music isn't really a genre that's known for having frontmen. I think Keith was one of those people who, I mean, he got the Prodigy when they were on the cover of Rolling Stone in 1997, in August, I think. Um, it was only him on the cover. 
uh, and he had that crazy look with the red wings in his hair and he had like a tracksuit on and and he really brought that rave attire that very fashion forward colorful you know wardrobe to the cover of rolling stone but i think as, as a lot of people know with a lot of that demand and stress and touring and fame mental health is sometimes forgotten about and uh, i think it's important to remind everyone that everyone's going through something um, even if they have a ton of money if they have no money uh, if they're always out if they never go out if they look like they're doing great always check in on your friends see how people are ask how they're doing take a minute to pick up the phone uh, and call someone and if you're struggling yourself then it's all right to talk about it. I think that nowadays the taboo of mental health and anxiety is 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 getting better. Yeah. It's still got a long way to go, but you know, reach out. Don't be afraid to reach out and talk to someone. You know, sometimes if you're going through something and you can't articulate it, that's okay too. Just saying to your close friends or someone you trust that you feel alone. You'll be surprised that someone someone will be there for you. It's okay to acknowledge that you're scared or not feeling 100% and it doesn't have to be something that's a lengthy explanation it's just about verbalizing what's what you're internalizing it's okay to not be okay yeah so yeah. reach out to somebody or if you notice that someone might have something going on if you notice that somebody might not be acting like themselves or just if something feels off it's okay to be concerned. It's okay to ask. It's good to ask. And even if you don't feel like fully disclosing or pouring your heart out, just letting people know that you're having a hard time can be enough. And it's okay to take baby steps to figure out what it is that's bugging you or what it is that's you know bringing you down. There are also multiple ways you can reach out if you need to talk to somebody. Uh, there's all kinds of websites and you, there's a National Suicide Prevention Hotline number as well. Yeah, there is. It's actually 1-800-273-8255. one 273 talk and that is the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline. Well, on that note, thank you so much for listening. Um, it's been great talking about all of these fun stories. Uh, reach out with your memories. Yeah, share some of your own stories too. Use the hashtag Wide Awake Stories on Facebook and on Twitter. Instagram too. Instagram as well. We want to hear from you how you were inspired by the prodigy or Keith Flint. And thanks for listening to us for, what, two years now worth of episodes. Episode 24, we're a monthly show, so oh, yeah. this is our two-year anniversary. And we'll be back next month with a brand new episode of Wide Awake Stories. Catch you then. Yeah.